And greetings, brethren, all around the world. It's good that I can be here with you in this way, at least, at the very end of this festival. And I'm sure we've had a wonderful feast. God guides us. God is blessing us and leading us and using us in this work to prepare for His kingdom. But now as we return home, we must build on this feast and on the lessons that we've learned during this festival and grow and serve our God as never before. We must devote ourselves, brethren, more than ever to genuine Bible study, to really study this book, to be people of the book, this church, to be people of the book in a special way, to understand the book, not just to read a couple chapters for inspiration, but to go through the whole Bible, to think about it, meditate on it. We must study. We must meditate and think on what this book says and on God's will and God's law and God's purpose. We must pray fervently, far more than many of us have done. And we must fast and use the tool of fasting to draw closer to God. And then, of course, we must go back into our normal lives or outside our prayer room and study room and use this and use the spiritual strength that God gives us as He wills. We've got to do those things, brethren, and devote ourselves to this. And then, of course, we need to put, put before our, ourselves the four big goals, and I'm going to narrow it down to four, four big goals of our lives. Four aspects of our Christian lives we need to really think about. First of all, brethren, we are called, as you know, to be Christians, to reflect Jesus Christ. And as I said, Christ is to live His life within us. Just like Paul said there in Galatians, Christ lives His life in me. And through the Holy Spirit, we're to live like Christ. We're to develop His character in the way we love and worship and obey God and the way we serve one another and lay down our lives for the brethren. We are to be Christians and be the light of the world and to be the salt of the earth. And if the salt has lost its savor, as Jesus said, what good is it? We've got to be salty in the right way to have zeal, to reflect Jesus Christ. Secondly, we're called to do the work. And Mr. Herbert Armstrong said, so often you can nearly always tell how much a person is really converted by how much their heart is in the work the work which Jesus Christ is doing today. If they're not interested in that, they're just interested in their own salvation or their family or their work or whatever it is. They're not following Christ. They're not walking with Christ because the most important activity on earth today is not these wars over Afghanistan or Iraq or somewhere else or the American economy or some football game or some rock festival. Those are not the most important things. This stuff on TV the most important thing is preparing the way for the coming government of God soon to be set up on this earth. And we're called to do a work, and we're to have our hearts in that work. So we need to realize that God intends that we reach all nations, all nations at least as a witness. He's not trying to call them all, and we must not be discouraged that He's not doing that now, but we are to reach them with the message of the coming government of God and the true name of Jesus Christ. Notice back here in Matthew 24. Turn with me, brethren, to Matthew 24 at this time. And most of you know this, this theme here, this famous Olivet Prophecy, where they ask Christ what would be the signs of His coming and the end of the age in verse 3. And then He begins to talk about false prophets and rumors of wars. And then He says in verse 7, "...nations shall rise against nation." all these little individual uh, wars, and kingdom against kingdom, whole world wars, and there will be famines. And these are beginning to come in many parts of the world, and pestilences, disease epidemics, and earthquakes. 
and they're going to get much, much worse in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you. And that used not just the Israelites, the, the national peoples of Britain and America, and of course the Jews and Israel, or people like that. It's talking primarily about God's church. He was talking to His own disciples. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for My name's sake. And brethren, we aren't even known by all nations. All the churches of God together have no name recognition in most nations. We're not even known. We've got to be known. Somewhere on this earth, God is going to begin to use a work powerfully to get His message all over this earth. And if God guides us and helps us to grow and to carry on as we're already starting to do and laying the foundation, we can be that work. We can be those people. And we're going to be known by the nations of this world. And then many will be offended, betray one another, hate one another. Yes, sorrowfully that has to happen. And you've got to have the spiritual guts, the spiritual fortitude to keep going through trials and tests ahead. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Yes, many men want to turn aside and they want to start their own work over here in a corner. They want to deceive people. They want to turn them into some other gospel sometimes too. All kinds of things happen. And because lawlessness, this whole breakdown of respect for authority, shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. And that has happened in a big way already, as we know, in the former association. And it's going to continue to happen, where people just get cold and they drift off here and drift off there and forget about the need to stay together, to do the work of God, to walk with Christ, to walk with Christ, to follow where Christ is working. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. That's a promise. This gospel, then, of the kingdom, the gospel of the coming government of God, verse 14, will be preached to all the nations as a witness, not to convert everybody, but as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. And it is going to come soon. Most of you know there's just one thing after the other beginning to happen, as I've explained, a whole panorama of prophecy when you think about the events in the Middle East and the rain on our resources, the rain on our physical resources of men and material, plus our money and our dollar going down, all those things. The rise of this false religion and this new pope coming in and beginning to make all kinds of noises about his church being the only church and getting back to the old hard approach as we begin to see this EU really being put together behind the scenes. And when they couldn't get the Constitution ratified, they're trying to bring it in by way of a treaty and get these nations together. The rise of China and the powerful military arm are now building their faster than ever the biggest navy on earth as they're starting to do and having the biggest resources, the biggest uh, kind of financial resources that any nation has ever had over $1.3 trillion in reserves the Chinese have right now. What does that say for us? If China and India would pull the plug, we would go down. Our dollar would go down. And here you find the beginnings in the United States, as the USA newspaper reported, of one-third of our nation being in drought. One-third and the worst drought in a thousand years in parts of Australia and even in the Ukraine, the breadbasket of Russia. They've had terrible drought and lack of wheat, and the price of wheat is going up. The price of corn is going up. The price of foodstuffs is going up, and the dollar is going down. 
All these things are beginning to come together, brethren, and many more that I could describe. This is the time when God's kingdom is going to come, not in some future generation, but in this generation. And we really need to realize it and get ready and do our part. So we need to focus on the big goals that has for, God has for our lives. So first of all, we're called, as you know, to be Christians and reflect Jesus Christ. Second, we're called to do the work. And as Jesus explained, all nations must hear the gospel as a witness. Thirdly, brethren, we're called ourselves to prepare to be kings and priests. God wants us to get ready for a specific job in tomorrow's world. When we're resurrected from the dead, we're not going to sit around on a pink cloud up in heaven and do nothing. We'll have a job to do. And the true church of God will focus on that job and be preparing its people to fulfill that responsibility, which we're doing. Notice back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Dare any of you... Here's not some obscure scripture or some scripture off in the book of Revelation, as some people try to put that book down, which they shouldn't. But here's the middle of the Apostle Paul's book to the Corinthians. Dare any of you, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 1, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? We're called to get ready to judge the nations of this world, to rule the nations of this world. And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Arguments and upsets between brethren? How do you carry that out in God's church? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life... Do you, or as it should be translated, and some have it, why do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? You see, you shouldn't be voting, or you shouldn't be politicking to set up your judges or make decisions. You're to have someone who's appointed by God, by the fruits, or by those in charge in God's church who've already been appointed to office. That is God's government. That is God's approach all the way from you read the time back in Exodus when God first began to set up a government and He told Moses to appoint capable men. No voting, no politicking, no balloting, as some people call it, try to get away from the word voting. No, they didn't have that. It was appointed right back then, all the way through every chapter of the Old Testament. That was God's way. The New Testament came and Jesus appointed 12 apostles. Later we find in, of course, 1 Corinthians, 1 Timothy 3 and uh, Titus chapter 1, Paul appointed and then he told Timothy or Titus and Titus 1 to appoint other elders under him. There was the government of God. No variation from that government ever, ever, ever. That is what we're preparing to do. So we've got to practice that way of life now because we're going to be doing that in the kingdom and making wise judgments and working with men of capability and women too because women will be spirit beings and you ladies will not be female and we men will not be male in that sense. We will be spirit sons of God not male or female in the human sense, in God's kingdom, God's family, helping rule this earth. And yet not in hate, but in love and in wisdom, guiding the world, straightening out the starvation in vast parts of India and Africa and the Middle East and Bangladesh and elsewhere all over the world. We're going to straighten out the wars, the terrible torture, the rape, the humiliation of human beings. 
And, of course, all the terrible things that happen in war and these upsets in these nations of this world. We're going to get a chance to serve these people and really help them. And so we need to prepare to be kings and priests and realize that's a goal. That's one of our main goals in this life. First, to be like Christ, to reflect Christ. Secondly, to be kings and priests. And thirdly, brethren, we need to begin, of course, as we know, uh, or thirdly, that is it, to be kings and priests. And fourthly, we need to grow spiritually to become full sons of God. So these are the main goals that God puts before us, to be like Christ, to reflect Jesus Christ, to let Christ live His life in us and be the light of the world and be an example. Secondly, to do the work of God as we should do. Thirdly, to do the work of, to, 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 uh, uh, do the work of God. And uh, thirdly, to be prepared to be kings and priests. And that's a big goal, to constantly think of that, that that's what we're called to do. And finally, we're to grow spiritually to become full sons of God. Notice now Psalms, where David, even this great man of God back there, began to point this out and had a little bit of that understanding. Turn back to Psalm, if you would, chapter 8. Psalm 8, the 8th Psalm, and beginning in verse 3. David wrote, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, looking up at the vast universe out there in the Middle Eastern sky, often very dry, and you can see the stars very, very clearly, as I've done when I was there. I remember sitting on the Great Pyramid one time in the middle of the night. should have been up there, but David John Hill wanted us to go up there and climb it under the moonlight. So there we were on top of this pyramid looking up at the stars. Brilliant in a way you don't see them around most big American cities. And David was outdoors a lot. And he looked up at the sky and he thought, Why am I here? What's going on? When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him? Why are we here? Why does our Father in heaven give us life and breath? What's the great purpose of human existence? So you have made him a, a what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower, or for a little while lower, it may be translated, than the angels or the Hebrew word can't even mean gods, the Elohim, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. We're made temporarily down below even angels and certainly way before God and Christ. But we are going to be given glory beyond what we can even imagine. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, and eventually everything, as the book of Hebrews indicates. All sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the seas. O Eternal, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. God is awesome, the great creator who sits between the cherubim and glory. He's looking down and seeing if we're willing to fulfill his divine purpose for our lives. These are the four biggest goals, perhaps, that immediately are before us and that we need to think about day by day, and that's very important. Brethren, as we go back home, we should keep our minds on these four goals. We should think about them, for, of course, uh, for success, as nearly all the books on leadership and success tell you, and great men have seen that in their lives and written about it over and over. To achieve success in almost anything, you must have a goal or goals. 
You must meditate on those goals, and you must drive yourself, drive yourself toward those goals in a powerful way, and give yourself to those. Burn your bridges, put other things aside, and go toward those goals. In Colossians chapter 3, it tells us this. If you turn there in your New Testament, Colossians now, brethren, in the New Testament here, in chapter 3, Colossians 3, verse 1, Paul writes, with God's inspiration, If then you were raised with Christ, if you come up from the watery grave of baptism, seek those things which are above. Don't have your mind just on your job or on your children or on your hobbies or whatever. Those are things you should be concerned with, of course, in the right way, in the right balance. But the big thing is to seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Christ is there. He's guiding, orchestrating. As these events in the Middle East blow up, He knows. He's no doubt orchestrated some of it to a degree and let us work out these things with our own human nature. He probably chose President Bush, frankly. He guides those who are put in authority quite often. He knew this man had this Texas macho, and much of that's good. He was a much cleaner man personally than perhaps some of the previous presidents, as you know. And yet he tends to go over there and do this and do that. And now all the nations of the earth are turning against us in a powerful way to bring about what Jesus said. The pride of our power is being broken, and the nations of this world hate Israel as they will later hate God's church. So think about that. Christ is working with the pieces, like chess pieces on a chessboard, guiding, leading, orchestrating, preparing for His coming government, and helping humans to realize that their way, their government, their approach isn't right. Their religious system won't work. Their educational system won't work. Their political system is falling apart all over the world. It won't work. Only God's system, only God's culture, God's way of life will work. So meditate where Christ is. Seek those things above. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Yes, if you're truly converted, brethren, if you have fully surrendered to God... He says, Christ is our life. We don't have a life apart from Christ. Our life is in Christ. And we have to say, not my will, but thine be done. And let Christ fully guide our lives in every way, every facet of our lives, and really mean it. And therefore, focus on what Christ is focusing on. Focus on God's purpose in our lives. And I hope that all of you can focus on these four enormous goals that God sets before us. So I hope you can keep these goals in mind and focus on them and really, you know, constantly think about those things which are above. Each morning when I get up, I try to pray to God before the day gets underway. I'm not bragging. I don't do it the way I should probably. Certainly not like Christ did. But I try to start out the day with prayer. And one of the things I do is focus on these goals. I really do. And I often in my first part of my prayer, as Mr. Armstrong taught me, and the Bible shows you start out often by thanking God, worshiping God. And then you can, as you thank God, you can say, Father in heaven, thank you for this beautiful earth and this vast universe that you have made and for the beauty that we see around us and our lives. Thank you, Father, for making us in your image 
to be your very sons, to explode in glory and power someday as full sons of God with the spirit body. The tremendous, awesome potential that we have, having a mind, creative imagination to a degree like God, someday to be full sons interacting with God, interacting with Christ, interacting with each other if we're in the kingdom, and interacting, of course, and fellowshipping in the future with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and Peter and the other apostles and Paul and Barnabas and those other apostles and all the spirits of just men made perfect down through history. We will know those. We will interact with them. We will fellowship with them and fellowship with God in a magnificent future in the family of God. God is reproducing Himself, and this church is the only church that fully understands that, my brethren. I think you know that. Only the church of God that has descended from Mr. Armstrong really understands that tremendous potential that we all have, and we can be so grateful for that. It's good to focus on that at the beginning of each day. As you pray to God, lift up your hands without wrath and doubting and say, Father, thank you for making me in your image to be your son, for giving me the human potential. Please help me keep my mind on that big goal. And as you focus on the big goals at the beginning of your day, each day, it can help your day start off a lot better. You get rid of all the little silly stuff along the way, your hurt feelings or your feeling bad or your headache that morning or whatever it is that bothers you. And you think about the purpose for life, why you're here, why you're alive, and what you ought to really be doing during that day. Focus on these things, my brethren, as you go back home. Never get your mind off the big picture. And so thinking of these things and each aspect of our Christian calling, all four of these goals can help us be willing to be a complete Christian. And it can help us, brethren, to really walk with God in a total way as we should do. So put these goals at the front of your mind. I'm exhorting you in Jesus' name. Put these goals at the very front of your minds. Don't let them out. Focus on those four big goals and especially on this biggest one of all. Turn back to Philippians, if you would. Philippians now, chapter 3. And I'm going to begin reading in Philippians 3 and verse 3. Philippians 3. Here the Apostle Paul says, We are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. We're not to think about what we can do humanly apart from Christ in us. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he might have confidence, I am more so. And then he describes, circumcised the eighth day, a Jew, a law, a Pharisee. He persecuted the church zealously, but he counted all those things as rubbish, that he might win Christ and be found in him, verse 9, not having my own righteousness or his own strength either, which is from the law, just letter of the law righteousness, which the Jews had, but that which is through faith in Christ. Christ living in us through His Spirit. The righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Yes, we will go through trials and tests, brethren. You know that. Don't be astonished at that. But we're going to go through those trials with that great big goal in our mind of becoming full sons of God and all the corollary goals of becoming a Christian, walking with Christ, reflecting Christ in this life, the goal of doing God's work 
and helping get this message out in love to the whole world and giving them a chance to know and hoping and praying that many of them will come with us into the first resurrection, the best resurrection, the better resurrection, as it says there in Hebrews. And thirdly, of course, learning to be kings and priests, learning to practice and prepare for jobs in the government of God. That's our job. That's another major goal. So we are to be found in Christ and having His righteousness, that I may know Him, verse 10, and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings be conformed to His death. If by any means, think about that, if any way, Paul said, I want to make it into God's kingdom, I hope you have that same zeal. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained. No, just because we're in God's church, we don't have it made or I'm ready, already perfected. But I press on. I've told you about my big Russian coach, Kaminsky, in high school. Coached a bunch of us he called the Tiny Tots. We were the smallest football team he ever coached, but we were winners. We won our league almost every year because he, he taught us zeal. And he called us teamwork to hang together, to get the job done. And that's what we've got to do. I press, he said, toward the resurrection. That's what we've got to do. And Kaminsky's favorite word, as I started to say, was drive. He'd say, drive, drive, drive. And we learned to do that with all our hearts and win those games. And the big game of life is fulfilling the purpose for which God has created you, the purpose for which God has called you, the purpose for which God has blessed you, and that is getting into the kingdom of God, being a member of the very God family forever. Nothing is more important than that in the whole universe. So we've got to do everything we can and uh, do that. I press that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. Paul knew he hadn't made it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, don't dwell on the past. Well, I got my feelings hurt, or someone mistreated me here or there or something. Don't do that. That hurts you terribly to do that. If I did that, I could think of all the things that happened, and I was sent here and sent there, and get all discouraged or get bitter. I cannot afford to do that, and neither can you. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching toward those things which are ahead, I press, again, driving ourselves toward the goal. We have to have a goal, the ultimate fulfillment of God's purpose in our life, to become like God and members of His very family. And those corollary goals, of course, are so important of hanging our heart on what Christ is doing today, giving us practice in walking with Christ, being part of His team today, not running off here and there every time we get our feelings hurt, but staying together on the team of God so He can know we're stable. He can know we're loyal. He can know we're not ready just to bug off and get out every time we have an excuse. God is watching us. God is testing us in all those ways, brethren. I hope we understand. So we've got to do the work of God. And, of course, we've got to then prepare to be kings and priests and all those things that we need to do and reflect Jesus Christ in every aspect of our lives. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call, way upward, to be members of God's family, the call, the, uh, call of Christ, of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, 
If you really understand God's mind and God's purpose, you'll be spiritually mature, and you'll have this big goal in the back of your mind constantly. As many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. You will understand that this is the ultimate goal. This is what is really important. So the Apostle Paul was telling him about this. Go above and beyond in every way you can. Brethren, we often read, and we'll be reading in the weeks to come because the Olympics are coming pretty soon, about the coming Olympics and how men drive themselves and women drive themselves. I was reading about this one top swimmer who got up early in the morning, about 4.30 or 5, went to this gym, took his laps before he went to work. He had to have a regular job. He wasn't being paid like the Russians and Chinese used to pay for their athletes. He had his own job, but he'd take a whole bunch of laps and drive himself. Then he'd go to work. Then in the evening, he'd come back, and this time with the coach, and drive himself, drive himself, drive himself again, day after day after day, six or seven days a week. His goal was becoming an Olympic champion, which he was. But he had to go all out, morning and night, morning and night, whether he felt good or not, day after day, getting better and better, working at it. Do you do that? And your Bible study, not just carelessly reading, but really studying this book, going back and forth, marking, comparing Scripture with Scripture, going through our booklets, going through the wonderful Bible study course, and all the other helps that we have, praying to God with all your heart, pouring out your being to God, meditating on God's law as you pray and, and apart from prayer, and then fasting and giving your life to God, humbling yourself regularly in that way to seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness. Remember that? Back in Matthew 6, 33, Seek ye first, not last, not second, not third. Seek ye first above everything else the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these material things we get involved in, They'll be added to us, the things we need, not necessarily everything we want, but the things we really need. So burn your bridges. Cut yourself off from everything that slows you down. Say, that's in the past. I'm going forward. Burn your bridges and head toward the kingdom of God. Burn your bridges and give up your smoking if you're still smoking. Some of you quietly. Some of you are still drinking too much. Some of you are still watching television too much. Some of you have too many worldly friends. Whatever it is, you're too involved in your job or making more money, having your mind on that. Burn your bridges and go all out for the kingdom of God. That's what Paul did. That's what we've all got to do, my brethren. So that's an important thing. Otherwise, you can be a victim of Satan. And he can get at you, of course, in any way and cause you to be just taken over by the cares of this world, or hurt feelings, or vanity, or whatever it is. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4 now, brethren. Hebrews chapter 4 in your New Testament. And notice this wonderful passage here about Christ. Verse 14, Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. So Christ was tempted in all points as we are. He had the poles of the flesh. He had to cry out to God for help and mercy, just like we do, brethren. Understand that. He understands us. Yet without sin... He never turned aside, even though he was totally human in the human flesh in that way. 
Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Knowing Christ is there, he understands. Come boldly, wholeheartedly before God over and over again. And in our personal prayers in the mornings and maybe noon and night. And then through the day, just in your mind, say, Father, help me here. Father, there. Help me there as each activity begins. Father, help me forgive this person if they hurt you right then. Father, banish this rotten thought of vanity or lust or greed or hate as it comes into your mind. Pray through the day and walk with God with all your heart all day long if you want to make it into God's kingdom. Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men to, uh, in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices. A human high priest was being prepared to offer sacrifices that typified the forgiveness of sin and the cleansing in various ways in the letter of the law. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is beset by weakness. Every human high priest, of course, understood he was human. Because of this, he is required for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And so he had to offer sacrifice for his own sins, those human high priests in Israel. And no man takes this honor to himself. And Mr. Armstrong often pointed that out. We must not take the honor of being a minister, a priest of God to ourselves, unless God has called us. Many people appoint themselves into the ministry. There are various jobs in the ministry for which they have no training. They're not prepared for. It's a totally a thing of vanity. That's wrong. No man takes this honor to himself. But he was called by God just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, as we all know. But it was he who said to him, You are my God, or my Son. You are my Son, God speaking. Today have I begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So Christ was intended to be a priest throughout all time. He was Melchizedek dealing with Abraham. He was the overall leader of Israel and showing them what to do here and there. Uh, even during ancient Israel, the rock was there, the rock of Israel. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. He guided those high priests and those kings if they were trying to serve him. And he was in charge overall. Who in the days of his flesh, then he emptied himself. As it says in Hebrew and in, in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. He emptied himself. And came here in the human flesh. In the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplications, supplications mean heartfelt, repeated prayers, with vehement cries and tears. How did Jesus pray? He prayed with all of his being. That's how he prayed. He literally shook and bawled before God. Father, help me. I can't make it over this thing. I'm in this human flesh now. I've got to make it. I've got to be the Savior of the world. Please help me, Father. Have mercy on me. Strengthen me. Banish Satan. Be with me. He cried out with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. He had that deep awe of God. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And brother, you and I have to do the same thing. We will learn obedience by the things we go through. And we cry out to God. If we cry out with all of our heart, he will hear us. He will deliver us over and over again. And we'll be in God's kingdom. 
And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Yes, we've got to obey him. Called by God, high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. Yes, we've got to obey God, obey Christ, and follow his example of going all out. Burn our bridges. Don't worry about all these things in the world. Focus on, drive toward that one great goal, the kingdom of God, and the four aspects of it, of course, that I'm laying out for you today. Drive toward that goal that's so important. Will you do this for the kingdom of God? I hope all of you will. So burn your bridges again. Let all these things go to one side. Forget the past. Forget your hurt feelings. Forget your vanity. Get rid of your lust. Get rid of the cares of this world in the sense of letting them guide your life. You cut those things off and burn your bridges and head toward the kingdom of God, the one great goal. That's what we've all got to do. In Hebrews chapter 4, if you turn back there now, brethren, uh, no, I, I did cover that and I've read that part. I want to review the goals now again. First, be a Christian light. Be a Christian. Have Christ living His life in you. And be a light to the world and a servant to your fellow man. That's goal number one. Number two, do the work. Have your whole heart in the work that Christ is actually doing. Number three, prepare to be kings and priests. Learn God's government. Study about it. Think about it. Respect it. Be part of it. Number four, Certainly use your spiritual strength and all your being to grow, to prepare, to be members of the very family of God, to grow like God, to grow like Christ, to surrender totally to God and to Christ, to live their lives in you with the goal of becoming their full sons in the family of God, the family of God grown great into the kingdom of God. Those are the four aspects for the most important aspects of our Christian lives. Turn now, brethren, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 2 at this point. Hebrews 2, and beginning in verse 5. Paul writes, under God's inspiration, For he has not put the world to come. We call it tomorrow's world. The world to come, of which we speak, and God speaks of it continually. That's our goal, the world to come. The kingdom of God in subjection to angels. They're not going to be in charge. But one testified in a certain place saying, What is man that you're mindful of him? So here he quotes from Psalm 8 briefly that we read. Or the son of man that you take care of him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. God did that in his plan and purpose from the beginning. Even ancient King David knew that. Then Paul continues here in verse 4, for in, or verse 8 it says, verse 8, in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. Nothing. And even the Greek scholars and commentaries, like the critical commentary by Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, and there are others that you can see there wondering, what does this really mean? Because the Greek expression here, all, means everything. The entire universe, you've put all in subjection under him, under man. There is nothing that is not put under him. Nothing in the entire universe. 
we think we're going to conquer space now on the human flesh and we go out a little bit like the, the earth is here on the tip of my fingers and this is all the universe and we go out about this far and we say we've conquered space. No, we haven't. We haven't even started in what you'd call real outer space and we won't in this human body. But God will let us eventually rule the entire universe as members of God's family. He's given us the kind of creative imagination to understand and, of course, think, you know, project our minds forward in that to a limited degree. We can sort of vaguely sense the capacity that we have, but our, spirit, our fleshly body, apart from God's Spirit, cannot do that. So we are made to have that ultimate opportunity to rule the entire universe. He left nothing that is not put under Him, but now we do not yet see all things under Him. No, we don't see it yet, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower. So Jesus Christ was made for a little while lower than angels for the suffering of death. So he could die for our sins. We see him crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons. He's bringing, frankly, ultimately billions of sons into the kingdom of God to glory, to make the author of their salvation perfect through sufferings. He had to go through sufferings. You and I do. Why does God let us get sick? Why does God let these things happen? Why does God let some of us die? He makes us realize how weak we are, how much we need Him, how short this life is, how limited everything is that we have now. And we have to focus our mind on God's purpose, on the ultimate body that will have this spirit body that won't get sick, will never die, will not be tempted, does not have the less of the flesh, and be members then of the very family of God to interact, to fellowship, to walk with, to help create with, to do jobs with, you know, and coordinate our activities under Jesus Christ to do God's work and God's will throughout the whole universe, walking with God, walking with Christ, walking with the spirits of just men made perfect forever in a family based on love and joy and peace and accomplishment. And we're going to be there if we can put that goal foremost in our mind and concentrate on that goal. So we see Jesus then put down in death that he would be able to, to prepare the way for us. It was fitting for him in bringing many sons to glory to make the author of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified, being set apart for that awesome goal, are all of one, for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. He calls us brothers, and we're going to be full brothers, born of the Spirit in the resurrection from the dead. So let's drive toward that goal and all these other corollary goals, brethren. We have an awesome opportunity. No other peoples on earth understand that. They just do not. Turn back to John now, if you would, the Gospel of John, verse 17. I've given you this before, and I'll give it to you again. It's one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. This is the last prayer of Jesus, the last full prayer. Of course, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do in short prayers from the cross, but the only full prayer of Jesus, in fact, in the whole Bible, the real Lord's Prayer. John 17, just before he died, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, 
the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you. Yes, my brethren, Christ was to be made God once again, along with God the Father, with whom He existed from eternity. As you have given Him authority over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as you have given Him. And this is, get this, brethren, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. If you're new in the church or haven't thought about this, you might, that might not hit you. What do you mean? This is life that you may know God. Well, frankly, if you really know God and are acquainted with God and walk with God and walk with Christ, constantly drinking into their mind, this is the mind of God in print. Meditate on this. Meditate on God's law. Meditate on God's will. Meditate on God's purpose, you see. And then pray and fast and seek God with all your heart, crying out to God for help and His guidance and His Holy Spirit, the strength you need, the wisdom you need, the love you need, the self-control you need. Then you're walking with God, and you know God. And this is eternal life, this way of life. You see, you're learning that relationship now to walk with the true God of the Bible, which is God the Father and God the Son. If you walk with God and walk with Christ, this is eternal life, that you may know God and know Christ and have that relationship built now to last throughout all eternity, worlds without end. And I have glorified you on the earth, he said, I have finished the work which you've given me to do. Brethren, we have not yet finished the work which God has given us to do. We have a tremendous opportunity now to get out there, to work together. We're right now, as you know, establishing a leadership training program. A lot of you have been helped by it already in the church as a whole. We're dealing with certain leading men in the ministerial training program to prepare a far broader and greater ministry. That's very important. Now we're establishing the Living University to help thousands, hopefully, eventually perhaps many, many thousands of people, and to understand the more deep things of God and the whole way of life and the whole way of culture and knowledge related to the kingdom of God, and have the right kind of education, the right kind of culture, the right kind of knowledge, the living university, which I hope many will get involved in as time goes on. And then, of course, through the help of Mr. Charles O'Gwen, Mr. O'Gwen's older son, we're now beginning to have a far, far greater impact, as you will see and read in the months to come, on the Internet. The Internet reaches behind the bamboo curtain into China, over into India, Southeast Asia, behind the Muslim curtain in the Middle East, everywhere. And we're going to have a much, much greater presence on that as we reach this world and through God's help shake this world using the Internet more powerfully. And, of course, we're already having more stations year by year, a greater impact through television, through radios. We have certain of our programs, certain of our men, Mr. Partian and Mr. Hernandez and others on radio and other things we're doing to have an impact on this world. This isn't our opportunity. This is our chance to be walking with God today, interacting with God, doing His work today. That's so important, brethren, to do this work. And so he said, I have finished the work which you've given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. See, he said, give me back that same magnificent glory 
because as you know, Jesus was the Word, the Logos of the Old Testament. He's the one whom God used to speak to Adam and Eve, to speak to Abraham, to speak to Moses, to speak to David. He was the one who said at the very beginning of the creation, let there be light, and there was light. That great being, the Word, the Logos, who emptied himself, gave up that power and glory to become a human being and become your Savior and die for you and be the example that you can follow and then be your high priest that you can go to God through him and in his name come to God the Father. So he said, glorified me together with that same glory which I had with you before the world was. That's awesome. Christ is to be given back again that same glory. Then he said in verse 14 to about his own disciples, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Yes, the world will hate us, brethren. Please don't be astonished. They'll call me every name they can think of, and, and Mr. Ames and, and Mr. Dr. Winnell and all the rest of us. The world has hated them because they are not of the world. We're not going to be of this world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. There is an evil one, Satan the devil, trying to get at us, overthrow us, discourage us, divide our church. He's at it, at it, at it, day and night. God help you that you do not succumb to that. Learn not to be a divider, but a uniter. And once you know where God's church is, stick to it. Put your heart in it. Have part in the work of God, not in your own vanity or hurt feelings, but doing the work and getting this message out to the whole world, which is far more important than just trying to give in to your hurt feelings or your lusts or your vanities along the way. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. Yes, Satan is at us. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Sanctify means to set apart for holy purpose. So he asked the Father to sanctify all of his disciples. Sanctify them. Make them holy. Set them apart. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. This is the mind of God. This is the truth we really need to feed upon far more. Heartfeltly, brethren, please learn to do that. Set aside the time to study as you may never have studied before, and to pray as you may never have prayed before, and do all these things with zeal, for that's beyond what you've ever done. We're getting close to the end. Christ is coming soon. He said in verse 18, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So he sent his disciples into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that I, they also may be sanctified by the truth, by this word. And Christ living in us, of course. He is the Word in spirit. This is the Word in print. Verse 20. I do not pray for these alone. Christ was not just praying for His personal disciples of that time, but also for those who will believe in Me through their Word. And brethren, we believe in God. We believe in Christ through this Word. You know that. He's praying for us. He is praying for us right here that they all may be one, not divided up among ourselves, as we all are today to a certain degree, in various churches and then little churches that split off from those churches where people get their hurt feelings or their vanities or their mind on one little point up to the exclusion of doing God's work. 
No, God doesn't want that. God is not the author of confusion. So he tells us here that we're to be one, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me. God lived in Christ, and I in you, Christ lives in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And my brethren, the world will believe, as they see his purpose finally come about. And we live there and are resurrected and are kings and priests. And they say, that's one of them, occasionally, when we appear and tell them, this is the way, walk you in it. They'll finally see the ultimate outcome of the suffering, the trials, and the tests that we go through in this human life to to prepare ourselves to become real, full members of the family of God, full sons of God at the God level of existence, interacting with God and with Christ, yet always honoring the Father as the head of the family, as the great God, Christ, number two, as our high priest, always our living head and our king, but always having the opportunity to be fully related to them in the family of God. People will understand this someday. So he says that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me. Think of this prayer. Here is what Jesus Christ, our Savior, is promising, my brethren. The glory which you have given me. And he said, I want that same glory back, the glory I had when I said, let there be light, and there was light. The glory you've given me, I have given them. In his plan and purpose, Jesus Christ, the Christ of the Bible, has purposed that we share that same glory, that they may be one just as we are one, just as Christ and the Father are fully one, one family composed of the Holy Spirit, of the God level of existence, Jesus wants us to share in that magnificent glory and to live together with them and to fellowship with them and walk with them and talk with them and serve with them and interact with them forever, that we all may be in a family sharing things and having others to share love with and service And, of course, challenges, opportunities to serve, activities, things to accomplish together throughout all eternity. So the glory which you gave me, I have given them in his purpose, that they all may be one just as we are one. Not in some lesser way, but that same fullness of being made like God. I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Not some lesser love, but that full love of God manifesting itself and working with us, helping us, blessing us, encouraging us, delivering us, and finally making us full beings, blowing up, exploding in a sense, as I should say, into the full glory of the sons of God and the resurrection from the dead. Brethren, we have a magnificent future to look forward to. We really, really do. And I hope we can fully appreciate it. Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am. He wanted particularly that very group of disciples to be right with him, and they will be. They'll each one be sitting as kings over one of the nations of Israel. 
let them be where I am, that they may behold my glory. They saw him during the human flesh. They helped him in and out of the big fishing boats and things like that. They saw his humanity. And every then, now and then he'd, he'd calm the waters or calm the storm and say, peace, be still. And then it says they were astonished. Here he looks very normal in the human flesh. The next day he's doing something like that. They didn't understand it. They were carnal. He was God in the flesh. And now they will behold his glory. He said, For you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you. No, the world has not known Jesus Christ, and the world has not known God. They're cut off. They're blinded during the 6,000 years. But my brethren, God has called you and me to understanding. Thank God. Let's thank God every day for that understanding that God Himself has given us, brethren. Thank God for that understanding. And we can know the great purpose of our lives, a drive toward that purpose, and focus on these four goals and make sure we get there. Though the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. Finally, the apostles did understand. And I have declared to them your name, that God is the Creator, the Governor of the universe, that He's the giver of every good and every perfect gift. That He's the Spirit being, dwelling in glory and power and ineffable light and righteousness, and that He has made us in His image to be His sons, because God is love, and He wants to share that love in a family atmosphere with billions of other beings, those who are willing to be conquered by God, to really do what God says, to fulfill the purpose of God in their lives. So we have to think of all these things very, very carefully. So he says, I have declared to them your name. The name of God means God's character, everything he stands for, and will declare it that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Yes, that full love can be in us and Christ in us as we yield to him, walk with him, talk with him, commune with him, and walk with God and walk with Christ ever more closely year by year every day, every year of our lives. That's our goal, brethren. And these four goals, break it down. Think on these goals. Meditate on these goals. Give yourself wholeheartedly to these goals. Learn to cry out to God in your prayers with all of your being, not half-heartedly. Learn to study with all your heart. Burn your bridges. You are going to be more than an Olympic champion. You're going to be full sons of the great God of the universe that set the sun and the moon and the stars up in the sky. Go back home with that understanding, that zeal to become like God, to reflect Jesus Christ, to do the work of God, to prepare to be kings and priests, and to fulfill the purpose for which God created you, the purpose for which He called you, the purpose for which He is blessing you even now in this festival. Well, thank you, brethren, for your love, your loyalty, your steadfastness. So many of you, thank you very much. And I pray that you will go back home with zeal and love beyond what you've ever had before and that we can have a greater impact on this world as the church of the living God in the days and months just ahead. May God be with you and protect you and watch over you.